After two years of stardom, the pressures became too much for Richard. On a tour of Australia, he announced he was quitting rock and roll. Roland, I found a piece that you had written online with Hunter Living Histories, so the wonderful John DeGravio and Anne Hardy and all those incredible uh, story preservers from the University of Newcastle. And I loved this one because this is is one of those stories about Newcastle's great uh, myths, legends, facts, fiction. And you have described yourself to me as, with between you and John DeGravio, the authorities on the visit of Little Richard to Newcastle. I think that Johnny and I could claim to be the world authorities on Little Richard in Newcastle on, I'm pretty sure I've got the dates right, the 2nd and 3rd of October uh, 1957. I also have a bit of a knowledge of Little Richard in Broken Hill a few days later, but uh, I guess we're talking about Newcastle. I'm going to start with a little piece of the story that you wrote for Hunter Living Histories. As a child, a ferry ride across Newcastle Harbour was extra special. Dad and Mum would take us across on the punt, the vehicular ferry, and show us the sights of Stockton. But after the visit of Little Richard in 1957 things changed. The now legendary train of events he initiated right there on our punt gave me a point of difference to my parents' generation. Little Richard and his upsetters, riotous new music, served teenagers, a recent invention at the time. I was happy that Newcastle, thanks to Little Richard's gesture, had become part of rock and roll history. Maybe it is this story that led to you becoming a music teacher. I did become a music teacher. But in 1957, I was in love with certain things. I was in love with the trombone. (laughs) I was in love with jazz. And I was in love with uh, the radio. Some people remember Pat Barton, the radio announcer. Yeah. I'd get home from work. I was a carpenter at the time. I'd get home from work and listen to Pat Barton. And so in early 1957, I think it was February, I bought a ticket to to see um, Bill Haley and the Comets at the old stadium in Newcastle. And that was fabulous. I just loved Bill Haley and the Comets. I went to the early session and um, loved it. As I was walking out, I saw a policeman standing there. Oh, my gosh, it's Max from school. Max is now a police cadet. So I said, oh, g'day, Max, you know. He's standing there. And he said, uh, in the course of our conversation, "Uh, did you enjoy that concert? I said, I sure did, Max, you know. He said, well, just stand and talk to me and you can come and watch the second performance for free because you're talking to me. Oh, you naughty thing. It was my first uh, and only uh, brush with police corruption. (laughs) It was to see see Bill Haley a second time. Um, If we think about the music industry at that time, Bill Haley and the Comets, Rock Around the Clock, Johnny O'Keefe, I assume. Who who else were the superstars at that time? Uh, I I would think Chuck Berry, one of my favourites, Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm -hmm. I can't be exact with the years, but they were around at that time. Elvis? Uh, Elvis came in, I think, into uh, our notes in Australia in 57. I remember Pat Barton saying, it'll only be so many weeks, like six weeks, before we get a recording from America of this great new star, Elvis. Maybe it was only a couple of weeks, I don't know, but everybody's waiting for a recording of Elvis Presley to arrive. And so I was smitten by Elvis and the others to a point, but I wanted to be a jazz person, and you can psych yourself into thinking only jazz matters, you know? Yeah. And so I did that. I became a jazz devotee. It was almost like a religion. 
And so when little uh, Richard came later in the year, oh, I'm not going to go and see him because he's a rock and roller <laughs> and I'm a jazz man. So one of my uh, regrets is not having seen little Richard live because later I realised he's one of the great performers, one of the most influential pop stars, and I love his music uh, now, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I missed him. <sighs> Little Richard made a decision, and I'm reading more from your notes, that took him out of the main thrust of rock and roll and so changed the face of the new music. I remember the hype around those events and believe they gave Newcastle and its harbour a story that's worth recalling. And you say the precise sequence of events in Little Richard's Australian tour are difficult to pin down, but my investigation, that's your investigation, suggests that as Little Richard and his entourage took the vehicular ferry across the harbour en route to the airport on the day after his groundbreaking concert at the old Newcastle Stadium, he announced that he'd found God and was renouncing rock and roll and his flamboyantly debauched life. Yes, since then, since I wrote that story, we do know the detail and we have uh, strong evidence that it's all true. Uh, Little Richard had been brought up in a strict Baptist uh, environment in, um, in Georgia. His family were sort of fundamentalist religion people. His father always said that he wanted a certain number of children. Instead of that, he got uh, like six and a half children. And the half was because he only counted Little Richard as half because he was gay. And uh, that was a way of putting him in his place for being gay. Wow. But he, he led a poverty-stricken life by the religious life. As he came to Australia in the aeroplane, he saw that the engines were on fire on the plane. Uh, that's because it was at night time and the engines were glowing with heat. And, so uh, they weren't on fire? They weren't on fire. Okay. But what he did see, and this is um, in his uh, words true, was a couple of angels came along and held the plane up right. and helped the plane get to Australia. At the same time, when he was in Newcastle, he was phased by the atomic experiments at Maralinga and it was virtually the week he was in Newcastle that the Russians sent... Sputnik into outer space. Oh, my Lord. And as a fundamentalist, uneducated in the formal sense, Southern boy, Little Richard was perplexed by all of this uh, ungodly activity. So he decided to revert to his Baptist faith. And as it, they were going across in the harbour on the punt, some of the other band members said, Look, little Richard, if you're really sincere, get rid of all that bling because he had expensive rings mm. on his fingers. So he threw his uh, rings into Newcastle Harbour. In interviews much later, he said that the moment he threw them overboard, he regretted doing so, <laughs> but he did it because his mates prompted him to. Stadium in Australia, mm -hmm. Sputnik yes. is passing overhead. That's right. You see the little light. This is a 1957. Yes. This big light came over the stadium, and it was frightening to me. And I told Clifford and Graydon, Nash, and all of them that I said, I'm coming out of this business. Because I've always heard from a little boy that the world was going to end. And it was frightening, you know, this, this, this big ball of fire going over the stadium. And so, over the stadium. And so we got on the ferry going across to another town in Australia. And I said, well, if you don't believe that I'm going to stop, I'm going to throw my diamonds in the ocean. I had on all these big diamond rings, and so I threw them in the ocean, although I wished I could swim back over there to be and get my rings. Uh, uh, whatever fish got them, release my rings. 
Uh, so I, I, I threw them over there, and so then I've been out of the business. I went back to Oakwood College in Huntsville, Alabama. That was a Bible school, wasn't yes, it? Yes. How did the Bible students react to the flamboyant Little Richard? Shut up. Didn't, didn't you throw all your jewelry away at one point? Weren't yes, you in Australia and you just went the hell with this and threw it out? Yes, I was in Australia and um, I had a dream one night that Russia had sent the Sputnik over Australia. I was there with um, Eddie Cochran and myself and um, Elvis Presley. Uh, and it was really a fantastic tour we was on. And I was on the ferry boat going over to another little town. And I told the guy that I had a bad dream that night. He said, if you really had that dream, would you throw your jury in the water? And I did. I threw, it was about, about $100,000 worth of jury. I threw it in the water and I've been trying to find that fish ever since. <laughs> you write about that as the series of portents yes. that he experienced. Yes. And, and I guess you can kind of imagine that for a young man, gay, seriously religious family, so many weird, inexplicable things going on at that time. And he'd never flown in an aeroplane before. He's Let alone one that was on fire and held up by angels. That's right. Right. And, and you're right. In Newcastle, he did as thousands of Australians did, and he watched the Russian Sputnik 1 glide across the night sky. The portents were horrific for the Western world, and especially for little Richard, whose personal beliefs were sorely tested. The West was aghast because the Russians had beaten the USA in the race to launch the world's first artificial satellite. So little Richard's just seeing all this weird stuff going on everywhere, and then that leads to the episode on the harbour. Yes. Uh, He cancelled many of his Australian concerts because he'd seen the light. Literally. Uh Yes, yes, to uh, the consternation of his promoters. Uh, And I read that at his Wollongong performance, he came dressed in uh, ecclesiastic uh, kind of uh, clothes and preached from the stage before he did any rock and roll and uh, distributed religious leaflets to the concert, again to the consternation of his uh, uh, Lee Gordon, the great promoter. Mm. Um, So he... He showed his religious colours in Australia. And then he did what he vowed to do. He went back to America and studied to become a minister, which he did. And he spent his life as a minister of religion. And he married Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis's wife. Demi. Demi Moore. Demi Moore. Hmm. He presided at their wedding. He sang at Bill Clinton's inauguration. Hmm. Uh, he, di- he married other famous people too. He became famous as a rock and roll preacher. At first he said, I'm not going to do rock and roll anymore. But in 1964, the Beatles recorded one of his songs. From memory, I think it was Long Tall Sally. And he just had to get back into it because he's now famous through the Beatles, you know. So... Right through his life, he did rock and roll and preaching. And uh, the latest video I found online has him uh, in his early 80s in a wheelchair, sitting at the piano, doing Tutti Frutti. (laughs) He takes a slower tempo and sings at a lower pitch, but (laughs) but he still does Tutti Frutti. The episode on the vehicular ferry... The old punt when his bandmates have said, "Okay, if you you chuck it all into the harbour. We wondered why he would go across on the punt to the uh, northern side. We wondered why he would do that. Then it was revealed that they, he and his band did a concert 
at the uh, mental hospital over there. Oh, yep. Uh, uh, and that was a charity concert. Um, so that, that rang true. That's why I would go across the harbour. And then I had discovered that they had a chartered plane and the concert that night was to be in Brisbane. So they would have performed at the asylum, then driven to Newcastle Airport and flown to Brisbane to perform there that night. Hmm. So that's what happened. Now, how do you verify a thing like this? You search newspapers. And a good friend of mine, Julianne Hamilton, helped me research overseas newspapers. And the episode in Newcastle was reported widely in America and in England and other places. And they all said that the ring-throwing incident was done in the river in Sydney, Australia. What we've worked out is that all those reports came from the one source, and it would have been Little Richard's people sending Mm. the stuff back. And so the information that they sent came from Sydney, and the reports say from the Hunter River near Sydney, New South Wales. Right. Because their geography was about as good as my knowledge of geography of Georgia, where Little Richard came from. Oh, look, we still have to put up with yeah, that nonsense. They didn't, they didn't know. And I think it must have been the one report that mm. was reported in all the newspapers. And so that sort of confirmed to us that the event had taken place on the Hunter River. But the clincher that was very late was after Little Richard died about three years ago. John Laws came out and told the story on radio. Because John Laws in 57 was a radio announcer Hmm. who travelled with pop bands and he travelled with Little Richard and he was on the punt going across to Stockton. I wish that Lawsy had told that story earlier. (laughs) Uh, But with today's technology, Johnny Johnny was able to extract just that part of Lawsy's program and put it on our website. And so that's all you need to verify the story is the man who was there mm. with him. But we had spent several years... Doing it the hard way, doing but it that's the hard okay. Way. Yeah. So you've got to wonder, is the jewellery still there or has the David Allen at some point yeah. sucked it up and dumped it out at sea? Yeah, people ask that question. Yeah, you do wonder. But there's one other important thing I'd just say about Little Richard. He was a wonderful performer and he's one of the very first who bought gay homosexual demeanour and dress and so forth as part of a popular act. In being flamboyant. In being flamboyant Mm. and open about it. And uh, that was part of his glorious stage presence. Can I ask you a question about that? In the context of that time, do you think that people understood that he was gay or did they simply think he was flamboyant? I think most people like me in those days thought he was simply flamboyant because, um, well, it's hard to put it into uh, proper words, but homosexuality didn't exist. Uh, or if you well, did, certainly did, if you but did, it, wasn't it was very, about. very naughty, you know? Yeah. yeah. Gosh, how things have changed. Yeah, what a phenomenal story. And he was able to be a gay rock and roller minister of religion mm. all his life. Mm. That's superb. What a great story, Roland. Thank you. Thanks, Carol.